Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. I'm back today with my good friend and colleague here in Columbus, Dr. Christina Lehman. And we're going to talk a lot about the fourth trimester. So if you don't know what the fourth trimester is, listen in because this is going to be an awesome, informative podcast with my friend who is such an expert in this. So I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, why you found this area of medicine your calling. Awesome. So thanks for having me. So yeah, I'm Christina Lehman. I am an MD and IBCLC, so lactation consultant here in Columbus. And um, I've always lived in Ohio. So I was born and raised in Dayton, went to medical school up in Toledo, and then came down here for residency. My residency was in internal medicine and pediatrics. So it looks a lot like family practice, but I'm actually an internist and a pediatrician. So I've always taken care of moms and babies. But when I had my first baby in 2011, that's when I realized that I knew nothing about being a mother. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, we, we, you can read all the books, you can do all the things, oh my but gosh. like until it's you, right. you, you can be a pediatrician. I mean, that's the thing is like, you can be a pediatrician, but still have no idea what the, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I was bound and determined to breastfeed this little guy and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we actually had it pretty easy. Um, but, you know, my labor was hard. We induced, I had a C-section. I didn't see him for a couple of hours. And then, you know, I bring this little guy home and, you know, this, oh, I'm a pediatrician. I'm going to breastfeed for a year. And then you have them and you're like, oh, crap, this is hard. And I just didn't know what I was doing. And so I did a lot more research and I was, you know, reading all this kind of stuff. And then I found this um, community. It's called Dr. Milk. And it's Dr. Moms Interested in Lactation Knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it was started by this great uh, pediatrician and IBCLC out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I've become really great friends with her. Um, but that really started me down this path of realizing that breastfeeding medicine is a real thing. And it's something that I'm super passionate about. And led me to, you know, become the IBCLC. And I'm a fellow of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. And so it's just kind of changed my whole career trajectory, all based on that little that little monkey that was born in 2011. Yeah, it's so exciting that we, we, we think we're going to go down a certain path and life happens and that really helps direct us in where we're going to go, you know? So we were talking a lot before we before we started about really kind of identifying what the fourth trimester is oh. and why it's important. Right. That fourth trimester, when you break, brought home your little guy, you know, most people think, you know, you're postpartum and you go to your six week checkup and you're cleared and then mm-hmm. your postpartum course is, you know, over. But right. we and, <laughs> and, and others like us probably think differently. Right. So how do you kind of organize or think about when we're talking about the, the fourth trimester? What is it? mean and sort of, you know, why is it important for women listening to the podcast and also for for doctors to to be aware of? Yeah. So I think the, you know, the first thing is, is people say, what is the fourth trimester? I thought three and we were done. <laughs> right? I have my little app and I it know says it's, it's it says over. it's done. And um, those of us who have lived through it realize that it's not over forever. Like, I mean, some people will say, oh, well, they turn 18 and they leave the house or they get me. No, like most mothers will tell you that it never, ever, ever ends. So you'll fourth trimester technically is those three months after baby's born. Hence the trimester kind of idea. 
And what we know is that human babies are born earlier than they're ready. So think about a cow or a horse, right? They're born and an hour later, they're feeding themselves. Walking. They're walking. You know, those moms don't latch those babies on. Those babies latch on themselves. Yeah. And if they bite mom, mom kicks them. I mean, <laughs> it's not exactly how it happens with ba- with human babies. That wouldn't go so well. Right. So yeah. we are more like the kangaroos and the koalas and stuff that basically that baby needs 24-7 care. And their whole reason is is because of our pelvis, right? The baby's head gets so much bigger those next three months that babies wouldn't fit out of our pelvises as humans if they came sooner. You can't see my eyes right now, but you know. (laughs) You think about a three-month-old baby and you're like, holy crap, right? Yeah. So so the fourth trimester is kind of that idea of, okay, those first couple months out, baby is completely dependent on mom and really isn't neurologically kind of ready to be out in the world. They're meant to be held and cuddled and feed all the time. All the time. All the time. And, you know, for me, when I found out about milk composition, which is, well, we're getting all off track, but I just think this is like super fascinating. Tell us. Um, so different mammals have different milk composition. So whales make really fatty milk, mm-hmm. like 70, 80% fat. And that's because when it goes into the water, the babies don't actually latch to the mom. It ter- gets in little globules in the water, and then the baby eats the globules. That's crazy. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. And then like deer have a higher protein and fat content than we do because they do what they call cash feeding. So they leave them in a little nest. They go off and, you know, feed. And so they only feed their babies a couple times a day. So their milk is appropriate for that as higher fat and higher protein content. So those babies only need to feed two, three times a day. Okay. Human babies need to feed every freaking hour, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And but part of that yeah. is breast milk is more watery, mm-hmm. lower in protein and fat content. So they digest it more quickly. Mm-hmm. And so basically, depending on the mammal, you can kind of tell how often they have to feed their baby. Mm-hmm. By its composition. By and, the milk's composition. And that we uh, have babies born before their baby. Yeah. So moms aren't prepared for, I don't know, I wasn't, I don't know about you, I wasn't prepared for that. I was like, oh, he's going to take three two-hour naps a day, and I am going to exercise. I'm going to go back to work weighing less than I did going into this. Because we always I'm, say that, right? Absolutely, because oh, I was yeah. going to exercise so much, and I was going to yep. organize. Guess what? Yep. My kid never slept unless he was being held. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that realization and that kind of recognition that this these at least three months, if not longer, that kid's meant to be held. That kid's meant to be eating every hour and a half, two hours. The you know the, those are normal kind of things. The I think physical is, dependence oh my gosh. on particularly you. mom, yeah. right, is overwhelming. It is, and until you you know get the blessing mm-hmm. to experience that, and then I think that physical dependence is just such an adjustment it is that there we we just cannot prepare for yeah that i think that that you know this is setting up those fourth trimester Mm -hmm. struggles right right off the bat and i tell moms i say i wish i could prepare you for this but there's literally there's not words to describe it you know it's going to be harder than you think it is it's harder than that there's nothing that i can tell you to prepare you for how you're going to feel because you're so overwhelmed with joy and gratitude of this baby and yet you're so exhausted and infuriated by the your demands hormones are and the hormones are crazy yeah. and you feel like a crazy person cuz in your head you like both love and hate this baby all at the same time. You mm-hmm. hate their demands of you and that yeah. you can't go anywhere and dependency on you. They don't talk to you. You feel lonely. You feel right? isolated. Oh gosh, the loneliness. Loneliness, yeah. But yet you love them so freaking much that you just can't even help And then yourself. you just start crying yes. and no one's mm-hmm. in the room and you're no. ugly crying. Yep, totally. So I want to ask you, you know, in that fourth trimester, 
those first couple of months when baby comes home. You gave this great presentation. You talk a lot about the maternal health, mom's health during this time. Because mm-hmm. what happens, everyone asks about the little peanut. Right. Everyone comes to visit and just wants to, you know, hold the baby and see the baby and ask how the baby's doing. You have lots of doctor's visits all for the baby. You know, so how, how do you teach others to shift that perspective a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I love Allison Stubbe out of uh, UNC has this um, idea of a chocolate or of candy and a candy wrapper and that that's pregnancy. So pregnancy is the wrapped up candy. And then all of a sudden at birth, woo, we unwrap and there's the candy. And everybody's like, yay, the candy, the candy. Let me eat the candy. Let me see the candy. And they throw the wrapper away. And the wrapper is mom. And we do, like you said, I mean, fortunately, ACOG recently has kind of come up with this idea that, yeah, maybe we should see a mom before six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. And and then often it's a pediatrician Mm -hmm. and only a pediatrician who is seeing the baby. And I mean, I think they appreciate the mom, but they didn't go into training and practice to see moms and see adults. And so here they are with the baby. And, you know, mom gets kind of left aside. Um, I think that's where my training especially comes into benefit. Absolutely, of course. Um, because I see adults on a regular basis. And so I care about the mom. And I feel yeah. like having been through what I, you know, experienced in my life with my kids, I think that it made a big difference um, as far as how I deal with my parents. You know, so we make sure that we do postpartum depression screenings on our moms. And I make sure that I talk to them directly. And how are you doing? And how are you sleeping? Um, I think a lot of times two pediatricians focus on like the baby should be sleeping X amount of time or taking this amount of milk. And my thing is usually like, is the baby growing? And are you okay with what's going on? If you're okay with the baby waking up every two hours at night and you're you're doing fine, then great. Um, Elizabeth Pantley, who wrote a bunch of books, said, you know, sleep is a problem when it's a problem. So I don't tend to be one that's very prescriptive, you know, with my patients to say, well, they should be doing blah, blah, blah. I I try not to should moms a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we should new moms a whole uh, lot. That's probably a lot more innovative than most of, you know, I I by no means want to, I'm just making generalizations, Mm -hmm. right? The way medicine tends to go, what people tell me what my friends tell me what I've experienced right the majority of those visits in that in that pediatrician visit is a typical list of like what you should be doing what you shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. um it's it's definitely less fluid in nature and again most pediatricians are not med peds or dual certified so you have that unique ability uh, to be able to grasp this from both sides and also just you know I think there is this uh, notion that we have to follow absolutely every single rule, right? Evidence-based medicine as physicians, mm-hmm. but knowing that that can, you know, it's it's just not always a perfect world. It's and not. Fourth trimester. Not a perfect world. No, not at all. Um, my best friend um, read 12 sleep books because she was just convinced, and she's a physician, she was convinced that she just didn't read the right one. Yeah. And, you know, that's how it is, though, right? Your pediatrician says one thing, your mom says something else, your friend says something else, you read this book that says something else. Uh-huh. Get What's this the app, truth? Watch this YouTube. Right. Everyone knows this secret. Yes, everybody but me. Right, everybody everybody but- else but me knows yeah. the secret. And that, again, is isolating. And so I think, you know, for having, if, if anyone is a new mom or they have a friend who's a new mom, this is a really great um, discussion that we're having to validate that not everyone's postpartum course is easy um, and that they're, that we're kind of 
really trying to to make focus not so much just on on baby um but but mom and baby Mm -hmm. right absolutely when you go over to visit that friend do a load of dishes or help her out with her laundry or bring her food you know don't don't always just fawn over the baby how are you doing mom how are you feeling um because again she gets kind of past this height and you know it's it's, some of it's human nature this is adorable little baby (laughs) and who doesn't love that little baby but you know help the mom out yeah I'm going to now jump into the 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 questions that I want to ask about about breastfeeding. Yeah. I've got an expert, so I got to make use of this. Perfect. And we were talking beforehand. We also wanted to make sure we wanted to make it very clear that um, you know, while breastfeeding is great, we don't want to be all inclusive. Yeah. There there can't always be one answer. But we're going to talk about breastfeeding now. Mm-hmm. So if mom does want to breastfeed, you know, um what are your uh, biggest what are your tips in, in not technique tips, but like emotional tips, mental tips? Yeah. What are those kinds of tips? Yeah. So I would say my number one thing is don't ever give up on your worst day because breastfeeding is tough. It is not, it's natural, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And that first month is hard. hard. And so I really try to emphasize with moms the benefits. And we don't talk about the benefits for mom. We say, oh, well, it's better for baby's brain development and infections and stuff. Well, how about it decreases mom's risk of diabetes? It decreases her risk of having heart disease, strokes, high blood pressure, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. There are huge, 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 and probably even bigger benefits for mom than there are for baby. See, that's 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 I know. That's really important because again, it goes along with this theme and it's of, of just, you know, what is best for baby. But it's mm-hmm. nice to, like, take it back and say breastfeeding has actually, as you just said, more maybe even more benefits for mom. Right. So, yes. that's And these are, like, huge chronic diseases, right, for huge. which we spend millions of dollars on, for which we, you know, try to figure out best treatments for and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these public health issues. And here you have a great option that's, you know – free mm-hmm. um right if you if you're loaded up with milk um right. you know and so that's great to hear yeah keep going and i think you know, again that goes with that don't give up on your worst day idea too is that there's benefits for you so it's worth you know this is worth putting time and effort into we are meant to do this as a village we're not meant to do this by ourselves um we're that's meant to key. Have, yeah we're meant to have you know 100 200 plus years ago we had mom and grandma and aunts and sisters and all these other people around us that helped us with stuff, you still need to find your village and that's okay. Your village may be lactation consultants. Your village may be a support group. Your village may be friends that have breastfed. But don't try to do this in isolation because it's, you can't. It's just, it's too hard. And it's great to say, oh, well, you know, my husband or his partner or somebody is is, uh, supportive. they just don't ever get. You really need somebody who's been there, done that, that can kind of, again, validate that, like, wow, this is so much harder than I thought it was going to be. And for you to be able to say, I know. And, you know, let's talk about, you know, let me hold your baby so that you can go to Target. <laughs> you need a pedicure. <laughs> let's figure out what we can you do. You need a for, shower. You need to shower. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? I mean, because seriously, early on, that's a good day. A day that you get a shower, shower. is oh, a good day. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So don't give up on your worst day. Get your village around you. Um, be prepared, you know, to some extent. At least take a breastfeeding class or look at some stuff online. Um, in my ideal world, you know, there's, you know, one resource, which will never just be one resource, but there's kind of that go-to resource that you can kind of like, okay, either go to 
a class or watch this YouTube video. Yeah. Um, but you know, those kind of things, just get yourself prepared. So you know, as much as you can, I would say the number one thing ahead of time, if you're going to learn something is hand expression. Mm-hmm. So Stanford has a really great website. Um, oh, with awesome. all sorts, I'll link it. Yeah. We'll link it with below. all sorts of, you know, different videos that, um, Jane Morton has done, which she's just phenomenal, but you know, hand expression is really empowering for mom. So what we say is that if baby doesn't latch within the first hour, we know scientifically that her milk supply may take a hit. Um, so what we say is if that baby doesn't get skin to skin, so say there's an emergency, right? Some like baby, yeah. You had a C-section, right? You right. And, and my first one, I was, yeah. you know, separated for a while. Fortunately, we don't do that usually with moms anymore. Yeah. But maybe your baby's sick. Maybe there's something going on. And so you aren't with your baby or your baby just won't latch. And so you need to know how to stimulate your breasts. And you know what? I used this when I went back to work and forgot pump parts. So oh, it's- yeah. My sister, in fact, we went on vacation. She forgot her pump, but she's not a very organized lady. She just starts standing over the sink. And it's I funny, just, I'm on my second kid. So I was just kind of like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm getting milk out. Absolutely. And it- you know, the power goes out, you forget pump heart, whatever it happens to be. This is just really empowering for mom to know how to get the milk out of her breast. I wish I had learned that my first baby, I didn't mm-hmm. really learn it until my second baby. Yeah. It's, isn't that crazy? It, but it, it's what happens. Right. You know, it right. just, it's what happens and you don't get a good start necessarily or you, you know, you just run into issues and it's just hard. And you, know, you kind of said earlier about, you know, if they choose to breastfeed and I'm totally, you know, I am all for women's rights and women's lib, but Let's make sure that women are making the decision with the full information. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's make sure she's not not breastfeeding because her friend had a problem or because she has to go back to work at four weeks or because, you know, whatever it happens to be. Let's make sure that these women are empowered and educated and know the risks and benefits. You know, you can look at it more as they have an increased risk of breast cancer if they don't breastfeed. So, you know, do we know that when we're choosing formula? So at the end of the day, by all means, do you want to choose formula? You go for it, girl. Like, that's your right. Um, but let's let's just again and sometimes too medically we need some right one of my good friends had low milk supply because she didn't have enough what we call glandular tissue in the breast so basically in puberty she just never really developed the breast buds that she needed to make milk of course she had to use formula she didn't have enough milk what else are we going to do let the baby starve to death so thank god it's out there um but that doesn't mean that we should just you know say oh yeah whatever just give them formula it'll be fine let's let's not let's not fix social issues and make (laughs) give us appropriate maternity leave let's just use some formula do you know anything about um do you know anything about the politics of the development of formula oh i mean there's so much i mean like i kind of can you give us just a you know if i did my digress my family always gets thrown under the bus because this is my podcast but anyways my mom she had three girls and she never breastfed but she said always said to me you know heather at the time that Mm -hmm. it was it was really pushed upon us to use formula and there was probably as i could just imagine Mm -hmm. you know and 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 i wasn't there but a society where you know it's sort of like oh now we have this new thing go buy it you don't have to do this barbaric thing right there was part of that part of it was kind of a cultural thing that exactly they tried to say well it's poor people that breastfeed because they can't afford formula so if you can afford formula, you are up and up and you are showing that you have made it in the world and you can afford that stuff. So that was part of it. That goes along with exactly kind of what my mom mm-hmm. kind of tries to say. Yeah. Um, there was, you know, there was marketing behind it. They would say, well, it has all these added vitamins and minerals and nutrients. So it does better than mom's milk. So this is better than, you know, anything you could give your baby. So, but we do have to remember that a lot of this is marketing. Even today, a lot of it is, you know, what I'm going to call predatory marketing, mm-hmm. you know, the sending the, the formula to the mom. So, so that she gets, you know, something in the mail, you know, it's, you go to Target or you go buy maternity clothes and they get you on this list and all of a sudden 
Yeah. And the male shows up this, you know, thing of formula. It either. is predatory. It is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I remember after my last one getting something right about like, I forget, it was, it was somewhere in like the one to three month mark, but the packaging actually said like, oh, you might be going back to work. And so you might not make enough milk. So you might need formula. And I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. Right. It, it's like, it, you know, it's just a societal message that they keep sending mm-hmm. that this is too hard um, or being a working mom is too hard mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But it, it, it's, it's all these subtle things that are making us feel like, you know, we, we can or we shouldn't or it's too much work or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and I can imagine how much of that was going on. I, guess, I was born in the 80s when, when marketing was really strong and we didn't have the pendulum swinging like we kind of see in it now. Right. And, you know, people also aren't aware because. I think this is interesting too, but the World Health Initiative, or the, sorry, the World Health Organization, WHO, actually has a statement that is meant to be international that is against the um, marketing of breast milk substitutes. The U.S. doesn't pay any attention to it. So how every, can they do? Th- how they is just that a choose thing? not to not to put it in effect. So basically, this says that you shouldn't give free samples, you shouldn't advertise, you shouldn't do all the stuff with formula, which we do all the but time. But we do all the time. But elsewhere in the world, it doesn't happen, and so they do have better breastfeeding rates. Wow, that's fascinating, isn't it? That's so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's a you know, whenever you learn something, you wish you didn't know. You feel I just know. angry because it, it, these things are so hard to change. But hopefully, something like this, even as small as it is, you know. Um, is helpful to put out there. Yeah. And I'll, you know, again, say that, you know, if you are a mom and you have to use formula, we're not trying to shame you. We're not trying to make you feel guilty. But we know that if you use formula unnecessarily, you may decrease your supply, which then is going to set you up to make less breast milk, need more formula, and you have this kind of vicious circle. So it, you know, it truly is predatory when they're sending it to you and you say, well, maybe, maybe I don't have enough milk. Maybe my baby isn't. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should, again, get back to the shoulds. Maybe I should let my baby cry it out at night or should have dad do a bottle. Um, And it just, it can hurt your milk supply long term. And, you know, again, my thing is you are worth it. Like you are worth the, the effort the struggles, the help, you are worth every bit of that. Um, and that's something I think formula takes from us. Yeah. I love your, you like the compassion you have and the encouragement because that's exactly it. That's the village and that's the, the thing that we need. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to ask you about a lot of the myths about mom and breastfeeding. Absolutely. There's I have tons the, of them. I have got the expert, so I'm just going to load you with it all. So uh, there's two big myths and then that I want to ask you about. So the two biggest myths are, can I drink alcohol? Heck yeah. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> You Bring know, it on. Why, so, so why is that? Why, why sure. you know, as an in, as an internist and as a pediatrician, mm-hmm. why is there this pervasive myth that we can't drink alcohol and we have to pump and dump it? And and again, you can talk about pumping and dumping. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where does this come from? So you know, it, it's interesting. So um, there's a couple different you know kind of studies out there that push us in two different ways. So one study is that babies who have breast milk that have alcohol in it do tend to probably drink a little bit less, take a little bit of less. Maybe they don't like the flavor. Maybe the volume's a little bit less. Maybe they fell asleep. Maybe they fell asleep. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there may be a little something about that alcohol in the breast milk actually, you know, being a deterrent to a baby. Um, The other thing, though, is that we know if you think about chemically and how much breast or how much alcohol is in the breast milk is that it's really low. Um, So the amount of alcohol when you breast feed is similar to what the level of alcohol is in your bloodstream. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty low. It's actually lower than what you can find in orange juice, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Assuming you're at the assuming you're at a legal level yeah. or okay. below a legal level. Yeah, we're not so, we're not we're not advocating for We're not at yeah, and yeah. we'll get to that. We'll get to specific rules here in a second, but <laughs> In general, I'm going. I know, and and I'm pretty sure it's AAP that technically has something that discourages moms from you know drinking when they're breastfeeding. But you know, I like to get down to the science of it, and the science of it is is that the amount of alcohol in that breast milk is super duper low. The other thing with pumping and dumping is that as your body processes that milk out of your bloodstream, it also takes it out of your milk. So if you um, if you're blood alcohol level is lower, so is your milk. So pumping and dumping is never really helpful because that the alcohol doesn't just like get in your breast and stay there. It gets processed out just like it does in your blood. Yeah. So what are the, so we talk about, you know, so healthy drinking. So no more than ideally a glass of wine or a beer or a drink a day for a woman. And obviously probably even less than that, let's be honest. But yeah, I mean, if you want to have a glass of wine a couple nights a week or go out for date night with your hubby or something like that, by all means do it. Yeah. The best time to um, drink is actually while or right after you've breastfed. Because then the next time you feed and two or three hours later, most of that's out of your system. So really, you know, having a glass of wine while you breastfeed your baby is actually probably one of the best times very you can relaxing. do it. It is very relaxing. You know, and if if you do enjoy alcohol, some people might not, you know, totally. but if you if do, you don't, don't go with it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. The, yeah. Um, we're both physicians here, we right? I know. Totally. But right, you're having enough adjustments in that fourth trimester. If you were someone who, you know, missed having, you know, mm-hmm. an occasional glass of wine during your pregnancy, you know, whatever, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's nice totally to fine. sort of feel like, yeah, we've got an expert here, guys. It's totally okay. fine. Totally safe. Yeah. And what about medication? So yeah. this is rampant, and this is another reason pump people pump and dump. And the more and the more and more you pump and dump, right, the more your breast milk supply can go down. Or okay. you just that's that that's that one thing. It's that, just demoralizing too. It, it I know that just kind of changes your course. It does. So what what is this skinny okay on you know medications because. Every friend of mine, every patient of mine who's gone to an urgent care clinic or seen another physician, any type of medication, uh-huh. they're told to pump and dump. Right. And I know it's not true, but right. you give us the scoop. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very CYA kind of situation, right? So the person who is prescribing the medication to the mom doesn't know. And so they think, oh, well, it's safer for me to tell her to pump and dump than it is to look up anything or, you know, maybe give her the wrong information. And there's a lot of misinformation or lack of information out there. And so generally in medicine, right, if we don't know the answer, we often say, well, there could be a risk mm-hmm. because there could be a risk to anything. Anything, right? Well, I say Aspirin. water. Look at Flint, Michigan, right? You know what I mean? Like, seriously, nothing is truly, truly safe, safe right? And like you said, aspirin, you know? Um, so here's a, so a couple things. So one is that, again, think chemically. So a mom has to ingest the medication. It has to go through her bloodstream. It has to be absorbed by her stomach. It has to be processed by her liver or kidneys. And then it has to get in her breast milk. Baby then has to drink that breast milk and absorb that medication from their breast milk in in their stomach. So there's lots of things at play. So for example, a topical medication. So say you put, you've got acne and you put some stuff on your face. That's got to get in mom's bloodstream and then into the milk and then orally absorbed by the baby. So very, very little of that's going to happen. So the lucky thing is, is that we have, so the Infant Risk Center out of Texas Tech uh, Tom Hale is a pharmacist, and he has done tons and tons of research with this stuff. And there is an app for moms. It's called Mommy Meds. And then there's an app for pri- um, providers called Infant Risk App. 
That one is like $10 on iTunes. Uh, the mommy one is maybe 2 or $3, I want to say. But basically, they'll go through every single medication. They talk about how much of it actually gets into the breast milk. They talk about what are the risks to baby. It's very clear if he says this is totally safe versus this is totally not safe versus, you know, benefits, risks. Let's talk about this. What percentage do you think are like totally safe? Oh, it's tons. Yeah. I mean, there's very few that aren't. Chemo right. is not. Radioactive iodine is not. Right. Um, you know, there, there are very few that aren't. Right. Okay. Right. So, and it's know, commonly something like lidocaine from the dentist's office or amoxicillin. It's yeah, often moms get sick they, from yeah, yep. but it's often they're just told without any you know amoxicillin is totally fine for mom to take and breastfeed her baby. If her baby was sick, we would give the baby amoxicillin directly at a much much higher dose than baby's getting through that milk. You got to imagine that like if baby's sick, mom's sick probably probably baby's sick yeah. So that's really empowering because women really need to know, and I think it's so frightening how many physicians it starts with the misinformation among physicians and that's that's a problem in and of itself physicians are busy and they're burned out and they've got Mm -hmm. so many tasks that they have to do and we're not taught were you taught anything about breastfeeding in medical school no nothing i was literally i was an ob-gyn resident yeah I'm granted it for a year and then I did three years of internal medicine, but you mm-hmm. know, very, very little. Very Even little. being a women's health mm-hmm. specialist. Yeah. Very, very, very little. But, you know, and it's just this pervasive myths that just continue and continue. And some of the even very friendly apps that a lot of my patients use, mm-hmm. um, you know, have those same list of medications and they're always labeled as as unsafe. So it's like the mainstream apps also have it wrong. Right. So it's just like, you know, it, it's, it, I just, it's frightening mm-hmm. because, you know, everywhere you go, you're sort of faced with uh, feeling either fear or guilt about something that you do, right. especially for women. Yeah. All right, Christina. Well, I, you are a wealth of knowledge. Like talking to you always, it, it's so, I get so excited because you just kind of want to just go out and like change the world. What, if anything, is kind of the last things you want to leave our listeners with about fourth trimester, a baby mom care? Yeah. So I think, again, you know, you're worth it. Um, this is hard. Find your village. Um, find the other moms that have been there, done that, that can just kind of validate you. Um, be honest. I think too often we do try, you know, to put on that great face on Facebook, Instagram with our friends that, oh, everything's great and perfect. And I, you know, I love my baby. I only need to sleep two hours. I a only night. need to sleep two hours a night and I'm fine. You know, be honest. Cause honestly, by you being honest and you sticking up for yourself, you're also helping somebody else then be honest and stick up for themselves. Um, you know, get help if you're having problems. You know, we often talk about postpartum depression but I think more people are anxious. And so when you sit there and say, well, I'm not sad. I can't have postpartum depression. Well, you got some postpartum mood changes and anxieties along that spectrum. So, right. Which that can be a whole nother day. Um, (laughs) Another topic, another day. Right. Um, So, you know, you're worth it. Um, Mom matters. Mom matters so much to so many people. Um, So let yourself matter. Let yourself get the care and help that you need. Um, Trust yourself. You know, again, you can read all the books in the world and it's still not going to tell you what to do with your baby. Um, I tell my parents all the time, what did dad contribute to this? One cell. Right? I can't help but laugh because it's it's true. true. I mean, you can laugh and you can think it's funny, but it's it's the honest to God truth. One cell. Dad wow. gives one cell, and you, as the woman, turn that into a human being. And if then, if you're exclusively breastfeeding or even mostly, you are nourishing that human being with your own body. So I took 
pictures of my kid at six months before I gave him a single drop of any other food because I was like, I did this. Yeah. This, you know, 15 pound chunk of baby. Literally came from my body. Literally, I made. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. But you, but also then you know this baby intimately and you know what's right for you. And if something doesn't feel right, trust yourself and do it. Girl, I loved having you come on my podcast and just dispel all the myths. I am so excited. Um, well, thanks guys for listening in. If you have any comments or questions, please send them our way. I will link things below on my website. And thank you so much for listening in. If you like this podcast, please give it a good review and I'll see you again next time. See ya.